Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Bring spring color inside this season with Bear Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bear exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bear Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Your getaway with Apple Vacations begins the moment you step on board one of our exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Escape the ordinary with packages starting at just $599. No layovers, just pure relaxation from takeoff to touchdown. Immerse yourself in the joy of travel with Apple Vacations. Your journey is as enchanting as the destination, so pack your bags and leave the rest to us. Visit AppleVacations.com or call your local travel advisor to book your vacation. Oh, should we start this show? Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car in Carvana first. Ooh, for real? Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do is answer a few questions. Ooh, that's helpful. And now just customizing my down and monthly payments. Ooh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom. Just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh. I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, Say, who's that playing the guitar? I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today we were going to talk about the future of music, specifically when it comes to musical performance. And kind of talk uh, all about how how sometimes the instruments that we have at our disposal can actually shape the way we create music and the sound of the music. It can actually create entire uh, uh, revolutions in music. I got an interesting uh, trivia question for y'all. All right. Yeah. What's older, uh, music or farming? I'm going to go with music. Music, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Yeah, agriculture, about, I mean, I sit there and think about that. I'm like, I'm sure when we were it, hunters and gatherers, we were still bashing uh, little Ewok skulls to make the music. Be- because we had Ewoks before we had... It was a long time ago, Lauren. But it wasn't in the galaxy far... far- okay, anyway, so... <laughs> yub, yub-nub, so, y'all. Yub-nub. So uh, that's for the old school fans who like the pre-messed-with uh, uh, version of <laughs> the original trilogy. Well, yeah, actually, uh, so the even the Ewoks had music, and they were a fairly... <laughs> Primitive <laughs> society? Yeah, the, they didn't have a lot of advanced technology, but they still had a fairly uh, robust music scene. Is it fair to... Uh, I honestly don't know the answer to this, and maybe you, you do, Joe, because you were looking into some of the earliest musical instruments, right? Uh, is it fair to say that some of the earliest musical instruments were percussion instruments? Well, they could be uh, if we're – part of the problem is we just don't know how old music because is. Because so few things survived. But we know um, we know music is older than, say, agriculture because we have a pretty good idea that agriculture began about ten to 12,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and the Rolling got, Stones are older than we, that. So. Yeah, we have <laughs> musical instruments that are – we now believe about – 40,000 years old. That is incredible. Yeah. Uh, 
not percussion instruments, but uh, though percussion may have preceded them, because obviously, what, what were the first musical instruments? Well, they were our bodies, right? Sure. I mean, before people were building things with their bodies and or building, you know, uh, making tools. Yeah, they were. They could clap and they could sing. Sure. And uh, there's actually some really interesting research about why singing started. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about it. Why did we start making music? Right. Instead of just communicating. Just talking or grunting or et cetera, or gesticulating. Yeah. Uh, one interesting theory is that music performance started um, as sort of an organizing principle for tribes of apex predators. So Interesting. If, yeah. And so it, the, you listen to the way wolves howl. Mm-hmm. Well, wolves howl. For lots of reasons, uh, we think some of the main reasons they do it are to establish like a, a social dominance hierarchy, mm-hmm. to establish the borders of their territory, mm-hmm. and to sort of create a, uh, a defense alertness network within their territory, mm-hmm. um, and to sort of coordinate during hunts. Interesting. Um, and uh, those are all characteristics that would be displayed by predators. Actually, predators, which are the same kind of role that early hominids would have played, mm-hmm. like Neanderthals and our direct hominid ancestors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a, a pretty good there's a pretty good basis there for thinking, wow, well, maybe our ancestors had organized systems of vocal calls the same way that wolves have howling systems. But obviously, we have. Um, more versatile vocal cords than wolves do. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we have even more ability to, oh, you know, m- maybe we could kind of create an even more intricate and and well-thought-out system of, of vocal signals. Mm-hmm. And from there, you have the idea that, well, maybe that's how the first songs came about. And, of course, I mean, the this whole topic ties in very closely with the one we looked at earlier, the storytelling topic, mm-hmm. and the idea of how music has become part of our way of, of sharing stories and uh, and culture to a point where, you know, you could imagine uh, a lore teller, someone who is in charge of gathering information about a people and passing that on, also communicating that in the form of song, which can make things easier to remember and can also have a, a, a very a very deep emotional impact, as anyone who enjoys music can tell you. I mean, I know there are people out there who just don't get music. It's just, it just doesn't speak to them in any mm-hmm. way. But for others, like I include myself in this, uh, certain types of music can get a, a, a huge emotional response from me. Uh, Kenny G makes me really angry. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's honestly not my favorite form of artistic expression. I, it's harder for me to consume it than other forms of of art. So I I tend to consume less music than other things. But it but it definitely has a huge um I think a, a, a mnemonic impression on our brains. Uh, the, the the patterns and the mathematics in it are something that the bits of your brain that you're not using to listen to the words of a story are going to kick in. Mm. Well, and it's hard to deny that it's deeply social. You sure, know, sure. That singing together with people really helps. It 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 creates a sense of oneness and harmony, a, a kind of uh, gr- you know a, a spiritual bond. I've I've even feel seen between each other some recent uh, some recent. S- Scientific studies that have suggested that singing with a group of people can help uh, improve your mood drastically. Like it can be oh, yeah. a true psychological aid for for people who are suffering from uh, depression or they're just uh, they have anxiety issues. Um, assuming that you don't have an anxiety issue with singing with a group, but but <laughs> but it is it's more like kind of choral singing. It's not the, mm-hmm. it's not like you know you're going to get singled out to do a, a crazy solo, solo yeah. right? Yeah. So. All of that, obviously, is speculation. I mean, there's just there's no physical evidence for that. It's just we we can look at how other animals behave and we can sort of guess how things like that came about. But there's no way to really know. Right. What we do know um, and that can be tested by radiocarbon dating and stuff is that at the at the very latest, 35,000 years ago and some new tests reveal probably more like 40 to 42 or 43,000 years ago. We had bone flutes oh, wow. um, found in caves in Germany. There are these uh, uh, flutes made from the birds of bones, and, and they're just little hollow bird bones, but they've they've clearly been carved. So there are uh, carved holes along the length of the flute mm-hmm. um, where you would 
place your fingers to cover them up and create notes. And, and researchers who, who found these have created wooden replicas that they say are, are pretty solid. Like you can play them and create some pleasing harmonic frequencies. Cool. <laughs> So, uh, you know, the other thing we wanted to talk about before we get into some of the crazy instruments that we've seen, uh, that are, are trying to either reshape music or just create new ways of playing music, we wanted to talk a little bit about some of the instruments that we're really familiar with today that had, uh, through their creation and, and people playing them have really transformed music in big ways. Now, there are way too many to name. I mean, obviously, if we were to, and, and even if we were to just focus on just the, the Western hemisphere, uh, uh, musical traditions, because obviously music is very different in different parts of the world. We all have different rules for the way we make music. We have different instruments that we play. There are different techniques, but there are certain ones in the Western traditions that have had uh, an enormous impact, particularly on modern music, the music that we listen to today. Um, you know, clearly we could talk about even the invention of just the guitar uh, itself, um, not the electric guitar, but just the guitar, which came in pretty late in the Renaissance. But uh, I think the one we really wanted to start with was a different musical instrument, one that uh, is featured still quite heavily in music today, the piano, right? Uh, right, yeah. Um, well, stringed instruments appear in basically every culture across the globe. Mm-hmm. Um, ev- everyone has versions of these. But uh, the piano itself was not invented until about 1700, uh, or maybe innovated is a better word, because before the piano we had um, the harpsichord and the clavichord. And these were two um, two stringed instruments, the clavichord being a... a having these bichord strings that were struck by tangents at the end of the keys that you would press down, Mm -hmm. Um, just a really simple lever motion. Um, It allowed for dynamic expression the way that we get in a a modern piano, but it was very quiet, but beyond about, mm, you know, the the length of a room, a a good few feet Mm -hmm. beyond the actual instrument, you couldn't hear it very well. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a a concert piece at all. Um, And the harpsichord was a little bit louder um that's a that's a set of strings that are plucked by quills moved by jacks when you press the keys so it's an extra layer added on to that basic lever motion but mm-hmm. um uh it was it wasn't as dynamic it was a pretty um uh steady level of sound you, right. you can get the emotion that you can that, that people talk about getting from piano out of a harpsichord right like with a piano where you can you can press the different pedals to to allow a, a string to be somewhat muffled or make it louder with a with a harpsichord you you push a key and that sound that you get is the same sound you're going to get no matter how you push that key oh, right exactly and yeah you know beyond the pedals what's really innovative about the piano is that um you can you can Press a key at a different, um, different well, hardness or softness yeah. and get a different sound sure, out of that string. Sure. Um, and, and those innovations were all due to, um, Bartolomeo Cristoforio. Maybe. That nice. might be how you say it. Um, who worked for the royal court. He, he was Italian, an Italian craftsman of harpsichords. He worked for the royal court of Italy at the time, uh, repairing their, their machines, mm-hmm. music machines. And yeah, he created a whole bunch of innovations that, a lot of them were so complicated that they didn't actually come into common use until a century later because they were so expensive to to create. I mean, really, really interesting things like a like an escapement mechanism that let the hammer fall away from the string instantly after the hit, so that um you know it would it would let the string vibrate freely, or a, a, a stopper to prevent the hammer from coming back and hitting the key. All kinds of all kinds of stuff that that. Sounds really simple when you say it out loud like that, but it was was really completely revolutionary for for the instrument. And at first, they were so so individual and uh, expensive to make that they really were only used by royalty and extremely famous concert players. But mm-hmm. uh, but innovations eventually let them be smaller, added more keys, added greater expressions of sound, and um, they wound up being in basically every affluent home. And eventually every home period, yeah. uh, a- allowing people to learn how to play music on a very, you know, the, the keys are laid out in this very obvious way on like a guitar where you have to kind of play with the frets and figure out how to how to do these complex hand motions. You can just look at a keyboard and see where your sounds are going to be coming from. Oh, yeah. It's a, there's a very obvious visual correspondence between the keys and the musical scale itself. Right. Sure, sure. Although, um, of course, you can play with such great complexity that for some of us, that obviousness is obfuscated by the deft fingers of a, a, a talented pianist. Well, uh, 
it is interesting just to think about everything that piano allows you to do. I mean, it it's sort of the 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 one stop shop for the s- single composer. You know, sure. you, you can use a piano to compose much more complex pieces of music. Sure, on. sure. Yeah, you can you can hold a note with a single key the way that you can't on a lot of on on a lot of the predecessors. And um and yeah, and and dynamic is the word that people always apply to it in this kind of literature. And it's it's fascinating that. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, so, solo piano concerts didn't happen until like the 1800s. And, and it's such a, such a major part of musical existence these days that, sure. you know, it's, it's, they couldn't be incorporated into concerts until, uh, uh Christophoros, um, yeah, the, the forte piano or piano mm. forte. Sure. Which of course means, uh, well, if it's yeah. forte piano, piano loud. forte, forte piano means loud soft and piano forte means soft loud. Uh, be- meaning that this instrument was capable of of producing both types of sound, either the very soft, subtle sounds, or it could be quite loud and dramatic. But the interesting thing to look at here is not just how this is, well, it's a cool instrument, it makes a new sound, it actually changed music. Sure, It, yeah. it changed the whole music scene, mm-hmm. and yeah. it changed what people would do and the kinds of songs they would write. Yes, yes, and it uh, eventually, like you were saying, Lauren, I mean, the, the fact that pianos became more affordable, it meant that it was a more accessible instrument for a larger uh, potential audience. So you started seeing... Uh, pianos being that, that sort of became the entry musical instrument for a lot of people. Not right. everyone. Since most, since a lot of households had them, um, and since especially women were expected to know how to play to entertain their families, but were not expected to appear on stage. In fact, it, women were banned from the stage for playing pianos for a long time. Ragtime and jazz, in fact, were partially originated on pianos uh, yeah. due to due to different different ways of playing. Uh, using the instrument to play. Right. Uh, I was going to pick up with another musical instrument that truly revolutionized music, although uh, 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 when it was being worked on, when it was being, the, during the invention of it, that wasn't necessarily the intent. Uh, that's the electric guitar. Oh, yeah. Now, the electric guitar, the first one, really, that we can point to was designed by Lloyd Lohr in 1924, who was an engineer with Gibson Guitar Company, and he had created what was called an electric pickup. Now, this pickup is essentially it's an electromagnet that is part of the guitar and uh, and it's hooked up to a preamplifier. And what happens is when the string vibrates, it creates a fluctuation in the magnetic field. The ma- that fluctuation in the magnetic field induces a current uh, through the pickup, which then goes to the preamp where it can amplify this uh, tiny electrical current and turn it into something that uh, that can then be sent on to other equipment like speakers so that you can actually have uh, a much louder sound come from a guitar because one of the problems was that trying to play something like a guitar which does not make uh, like an acoustic guitar does not make a very loud sound in the grand scheme of things if you want to play for a really large group it's very difficult to do or and, if you're incorporating it into a larger orchestra or yeah exactly uh you could put a microphone directly in front of the the uh, the instrument, but that usually meant that you had some distortion of what the sound was like, and you wouldn't get a true representation of what a guitar sounded like. You would get some something that would be musical, but you would have some artifacts in there. A as little well. bit more tinny or flat, maybe. Yeah, uh, just there's more possibility for feedback, also. Yeah, that's sure. also true. Yeah, so so doing this was kind of a getting around that, and in fact, for the longest time, electric guitars were really just meant to be a representation of what an acoustic guitar sounds like, just louder. Now, I've seen a lot of arguing about when the actual first, what we should call an electric guitar, was put together. Um, well, it, yeah. So there's some people say that it wasn't really until the Rickenbacker frying pan, uh, and other people would say that, that, that other models around 1930, say late 20s, early 30s. Yeah, there was a Hawaiian uh, guitar that was played. It was like a, a lap guitar. Yeah. You'd play it in your lap, and it had that sort of uh, kind of twangy sound that you would associate with Hawaiian music. That was one of the earliest electric guitars. But, I mean, it's, it is one of those things where it all depends upon whose definition you you uh, you pay attention to. When you're talking about the modern electric guitar, something that – uh, really shaped the music in a, in an interesting way. You gotta get all the way into really the 1950s. That's where you start seeing the electric yeah. guitars that really had a big impact. And that's where you see, uh, the guitars from, uh, Leo Fender 
Now, he created the first mass-produced solid-body electric guitar in 1950. And then you had Les Paul, of course. Famous. Every, everybody thinks he invented the, the electric guitar. No, he, he certainly he certainly had played a huge part in it. And, of course, he built his own electric guitar called the Log that looked like just a big solid piece <laughs> of wood that fit into another body so that uh, – but he was it was sort of a – uh, his own little hobby, but it was never meant to be sold as an actual guitar. Um, but his models started hitting the market in 1952. And uh, this was when you started seeing musicians play with the fact that they could create different sounds with an electric guitar by messing with different settings and creating distortion and echo effects, this sort of thing, where they weren't trying to accurately recreate the sound of an acoustic guitar. They were trying to make new sounds. And there was a little bit of um well, not a little bit. There was there was quite a bit of resistance in some in some genres of music uh when uh, the electric guitar became prominent. So rhythm and blues and rock and roll obviously they they adopted the electric guitar pretty quickly. Other genres were slower. In fact uh when Bob Dylan showed up with an electric guitar, that was that was a controversy in the folk music world. Judas, <laughs> yes. I can't believe you betrayed us. Country music, also. I mean, there was there were certain types of country music that that adopted it quickly, but uh, uh, these these were instruments that eventually became the backbone of a lot of popular music today. I mean, obviously, not every genre of music relies heavily on on uh, electric guitars, but a lot of it does. If you listen to your typical radio station in America, for example, you're going to get a lot of electric guitar. Well, it's not as uh, as central in every genre as it is in, in, say, your standard rock and roll band, but it you'll find it featured even as a background or textural instrument in tons of music. Sure, in, yeah. You know, most. And that also brings us to another... Uh, musical instrument that has become uh, pretty heavily featured in a lot of music, the synthesizer. And this sort of ties into where we're going to be going with this in yeah. the future. But I want to talk about first the uh, one of the earliest, uh, this is not truly a synthesizer in, in the respect that it, well, it was never called that, but it, it was a mu- musical instrument that I had to talk about, the telharmonium, also known as the dynamophone. 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 Uh, it was saxophone. Yes, the saxophone <laughs> and the dynamophone. It was invented by Thaddeus Cahill or Cahill, and uh, <laughs> it was a steam-powered synthesizer. With uh, it had steam-powered. Uh, steam you are powered, pulling my leg. No, a steam-powered. Did you wear goggles to play it? Yeah. You might <laughs> want to. Steam-powered <laughs> instrument. It had electromagnetic generators, and it had a velo- It had velocity-sensitive keys, like a piano, meaning that the if you played the keys gently, it would make a, a softer sound. So this is something that tries to kill you in Bioshock. It could create <laughs> different sounds simultaneously, so you could actually have it make different quality sounds and. Uh, and it weighed a mere 200 tons. Um, that's... A 200 ton steam powered synthesizer. I want this. What? Just bizarre. You, I could play heart and soul on that. For defeating your enemies and driving them before yeah. you, hearing yeah, well, the limitations no, of their, their women. women sure. I... <laughs> you don't even have the mystical axe in your hand. So, uh, the, now the first synthesizer that was actually called a synthesizer was made by Harry F. Olson and Herbert Ballar for RCA. In 1963, R.A. quote unquote Bob Moog, thank you, Noel, for the correction. Thank you, Joe, for letting me let Noel know that he was thanked for the correction. Uh, created a voltage controlled oscillator and amplifier module with a keyboard, which we now call the Moog synthesizer, despite the fact that his last name apparently was pronounced Moog. So uh, here's the cool thing is that Knowles actually gathered a little bit of a Moog synthesizer so you can hear what it sounds like. As soon as you hear it, you're going to recognize that sound. I guarantee it. All right. So, uh, and of course, synthesizers became another one of those things that, that went beyond what the intent was. The intent originally was to try and create a musical instrument that could – uh, recreate certain sounds that could synthesize the sounds of other instruments and do it in a way where you could, you know, have an, have at your, your disposal an entire orchestra, even if you just had one instrument. However, they, the sounds of a synthesizers were pretty distinct. Uh, or another way of saying that is they didn't sound anything like the actual instruments they were trying to, uh, to, uh, emulate at that time. 
In um, fact, they were kind of hilarious. Right. Yeah, it certainly was. I mean, those early synthesizers were hilarious if you wanted to listen to, like, this is what a piano sounds like, and it doesn't sound anything like any <laughs> piano you've ever actually the heard. The horns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, or, or banjo or whatever. Yeah. It'd just be this weird kind of electronic sound that sounds almost but not quite exactly not like what it was supposed to sound like. <laughs> But the, the cool thing is that musicians found ways of making music with this where that was, that was the, the draw of the music. It wasn't that they were trying to make the synthesizer be some other musical instrument. They were using the synthesizer for what it was. Right. They realized that it had its own unique sound and that that could be incorporated into questionably pleasing music. Uh, I'm not going to go with questionably pleasing. You are. You get to go sit in the corner of shame because uh, new wave, new wave music. I, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly, I'm mostly. We're the robots. That's our theme here. <laughs> yeah. we're thinking. New wave music. <laughs> I loved the new wave era. So we're talking about the early '80s when we had all this music here in the United States. We had all this music come in over from the UK, where it was a lot of bands uh, experimenting with different sounds and different instruments, including synthesizers. There were a lot of synthesizers oh, yeah, no, no, in that no. new wave music. And I'm, I'm giving it crap, but I would give any genre crap. I think that I think that any genre is technically um, questionably pleasing. Oh, well. Oh, I mean, again, uh, it's hard to imagine the music scene today without computer-generated tones. Sure. I mean, that... Yeah. Well, of course, they, they, they the come a long way. Well, the early synthesizers weren't computer-generated tones, right, either. Sorry, electronically-generated tones. There we go. Sure. I mean, now we have, I guess you'd say, digitally-generated... Sure, sure, you know, sure. That, that day that auto-tuning became a thing that people did on purpose... As opposed to, as opposed to something to correct the occasional sharp or flat note, Mm -hmm. it suddenly became a style. The whole purpose of auto tuning was for it to be unobtrusive, that you wouldn't notice that it was happening. And then you started to get artists who again took this tool that wasn't meant to take center stage and turn it around. I remember I I did a podcast about uh, the auto tuning, uh, uh, software and the creator was sort of bemused that it had become this this tool for people to make songs he said that's really they're using it for the opposite reason for why i made it by the way that guy uh now makes and did at the time makes uh software to help oil companies find oil under the ground through sound (laughs) wow it's true that's terrific that is interesting how like a a tool designed as a a recording tool became a a weapon of performance (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to, to be fair, to be fair, he was working on that first and then came up with the auto tune idea. So it's, it's sort of, uh, but, but they were related. So that's interesting that <laughs> like we found oil and we were able to make this guy sing. Okay. So we know that new music is, is brought about by new instruments. Mm-hmm. When you've got something different in your hands that makes a different sound that's played in a different way, it, it creates new genres. And that's why it's hard to, predict what the music of the future is going to sound like because you don't know what people are going to be using to create it necessarily right now i think one thing we can definitely predict is that a lot of the music performance in the future is going to be electronic it's going to be digital a lot of people will be you know they're performing their music with a laptop but that aside what are the kinds of instruments that we think might be coming about to change the way we produce music in the future. Well, sure. I mean, we've got lots of people, musicians, engineers, scientists, mad scientists, all coming (laughs) up with different ways to create music. And uh, we've all sort of gone out and kind of looked up some different musical instruments that are, uh, you know, they're on the cutting edge or some of them are a little, you know, quirky or more like performance art based type stuff. But we wanted to talk a little bit about some of the the kind of uh, creative approaches to creating music. I've got I've got one right here called the Artiphone. Have you guys heard of this? I have not. No. Okay. So the Artiphone kind of looks a little bit like a guitar. It does have it's got a neck with with sort of uh, fretwork, but it's all digital frets. And you actually plug an iPhone into this this uh, device, and the iPhone has an app that works with this particular device. So you plug the iPhone in and that's what allows you to select different songs, different sounds, uh, different things like uh, the percussion. You can create loops so you can play something, loop it and then add in a drum track and loop that and add in another track. You can play it like it's an upright bass. You can play it like it's a violin. Uh, and it actually has a little digital touch area where that acts like the strings. You You move your fingers against that and that's what allows you to uh, play this thing. And, uh, you know, we're going to 
create a blog post where we're going to include links to these different uh, devices so that you can actually listen to what these sound like. I listened to this one on a, a video on YouTube and uh, was pretty impressed with what it could do. I mean, considering that this is using a smartphone as the real brains of the device itself, uh, it was really kind of remarkable. And that you could even, with this thing, create music files in different formats and export it directly from the 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 instruments. So you have a if you wanted to compose something, you could do your percussion track, your bass track, your main track, uh record it all on this one device and export it and you've got a song. Wow. That's pretty neat. Yeah, my 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 favorite thing about about this incredible future of of technology that we're currently experiencing is that really with with things like capacitive touch Anything can become an instrument. My uh, a few months back, my very favorite Raspberry Pi application of the day, because I have a new one about about every day, um, was a uh, something called a beat box. This is a B E E T box because because uh, it, it, it's this wooden box with an audio amplifier um, and root vegetables placed in the top, and uh, and and with the circuitry from the Raspberry Pi, mm. you touch the beat and it. And, and, it, and it creates a, a percussive sound. So it registers your touch, and that becomes music. The music. That's insane. So you can, can actually play vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, do you want to take a swing at one of these? Well, uh, first, uh, I guess I want to talk about how one type of thing that I definitely see happening is this sort of uh, acoustic-electric mashup okay. type of instrument that we see a lot of... Um, uh, we can talk in a minute about this uh, this awesome music instrument design festival that they have uh, over at Georgia a, Tech. Yeah, a competition around here. But uh, a couple of the coolest entries, like one example, is this thing uh, called the Electrumpet, which is uh, it's an acoustic electric mashup. So it's a it's a traditional acoustic trumpet that you play like a normal trumpet, except in addition to the traditional controllers that j- control airflow and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It also has digital controllers, so you you hook like a. I think it also has an iPhone as the main controller. But, Interesting. Uh, yeah, and so it's got multiple types of buttons. So you, while you're playing the trumpet like you would normally play a trumpet, you can also manipulate digital controllers on it to create all kinds of you know weird effects that Distortion manipulate and, mm-hmm. and modulate the sound you're creating. Yeah. Um, another one is uh, this is really cool. Uh, Keith McMillan Instruments produced this thing called the K-Bow Violin Sensor Bow. Yeah, I watched the video that you sent out with this. That was really, I mean, it was very alien sounding to me because it doesn't sound like anything else you've listened to necessarily. So what is, what is this thing? I didn't, I didn't actually have time to check it out. Well, it's, it's a, so it's a violin bow. Um, actually it can go with multiple instruments. It's violin, viola, cello, and bass. Um, Mm -hmm. Uh, but so it's a stringed instrument bow. Essentially what I think he's trying to do with it is to, um, capture both the original sort of full range of dynamic expression and emotion that you can get with a stringed instrument, which is really hard to capture in like MIDI's, say, sure. or electronic music to get all of that depth of expression and the different subtleties of that sound with digital control at the same mm. time. So this is a Bluetooth-enabled bow um, that connects wirelessly with a piece of software on your computer so that while you play, you're getting all the... Let's see here. It's got on the press release. So it's got... Um, it senses motion on the X, Y, and Z axes, grip pressure, hair tension, tilt angle, and the position of the bow relative to the instrument. And like all also of the, what you had for dinner. <laughs> but all of the but like a stringed instrument player will tell you, you know, all those different things uh, go into creating the very complex texture of sound that you create with a stringed instrument. Sure, it's how the bow is interacting with the tension of the string and therefore creating a, a library of sounds. Yeah, and, and so what this thing does is it, it tries to capture all of those subtleties and still make them translatable to a, a digital medium. So you can, can you can send this signal to your MIDI studio on your computer if you want to, like, you know, record the notation of what you're doing, but you can also send it to controllers that you can use just like I was talking about with the electrumpet to, you know, modulate the sound you're creating. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And and so I, I see that's one big avenue of change in, in future instruments is sort of these electronic acoustic mashups, trying to keep what's great about the classic instrument, but to sort of beef it up with all this electronic capability. Mm-hmm. This also reminds me of um, the, the artist Imogen Heap, uh, formerly Fru Fru had um or frau frau i'm not sure exactly how that goes if you're british uh has these these gloves that um that she did a ted talk about a couple years back that um were inspired by gloves that she saw at the MIT Media Lab designed by Ellie Jessup and these through gesture can control the reverb or grain of a note they they can select harmony change vibrato and when she pairs them with other software like a like a connect on stage she can use her whole body movement and interaction on stage with the audience in order to change the sound and add add in more sounds. She's got uh, little microphones in her gloves so that she can live record bits and, and live loop them into the music that she's playing. So it becomes not just a performance, a musical performance, but a, but almost a dance performance, sure, a, a sure. movement performance. Uh, right. You know, p- part of what she was saying about why she wanted to create these things is that um, – she she was a digital artist, um, you know, working working with creating her own sounds and and uh, and and refining them on computers, and realized that playing those for an audience was pretty boring. If you're just stuck behind a keyboard or a laptop, you know, you might as well be be ch- checking your email. You know, no one knows. <laughs> right. That. Well, I think some of them do. <laughs> the uh, another uh, another instrument that's similar to that in the sense that I think. While it it's cool, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily do something that you can't already do with other instruments. But it uh, as a new form of performance and expression uh, is called the Alpha Sphere, which is you, you imagine a sphere that's made up of forty eight elastic pads. So these pads look like little they look like little trampolines, and some of them are bigger than others. So you've got some that are about you know the size of a small saucer, and then there's a few that are maybe the size of like a a half dollar or something in the United States. I guess that doesn't help you if you're not from the U.S. But anyway, they're huh. of varying diameters. And by pressing these different uh, elastic pads, you will create sounds because they're they're keyed up to different sounds. And uh, and by pressing, you know, more firmly, it'll change the quality of the sound by moving your finger around. It kind of bends the note in various ways. And so uh, you can actually play a full song by manipulating all these different pads, and it becomes more like, again, some sort of performance art. You're watching an artist as they are manipulating this musical instrument in an interesting way. And again, while the sounds you hear are similar to that, to what you would hear in, from maybe a synthesizer, it's visually really interesting, and that becomes another element. So you might not necessarily go out and buy someone's latest CD that they're rocking the alpha sphere, but you might want to go and see someone perform this live. Um, and it's uh, also got an LED light in the center that changes color as you're playing, so it's very visually oriented. Uh, and then I've got the Eigenharp. Have you guys ever heard of the Eigenharp? No. It's really... Cool, very expensive electronic instrument. It's supposed to be, according to to uh, Eigen Labs, which is the British company that offers up the Eigenharp, they bill it as the most expressive electronic instrument ever made. It has 72 keyboard keys. It has 12 percussion keys. It's got a capacitance touch strip controller and a mouthpiece that's optional. You don't have to have it in there, but you can. <laughs> and it looks like if you had ripped the, the, the neck off of a, an upright bass and replaced all the strings with lots and lots and lots of buttons and the capacitance touch strip is on one side of it. So you can, you move your hand up and down the capacitance touch strip, strip rather, and you use the different buttons to change the different sounds. And like other instruments, like the, the, uh, Artiphone that I mentioned earlier, you can record loops and create an entire, um, uh, song that way. And in fact, uh, when we do the blog post with this, I will include a video that has a guy playing a particular television theme song on one of these things. And, uh, and I was very much, uh, amused and, uh, entertained. Um, I, when I first saw these come out, the first thing I thought was, how can we get one of those for how stuff works? And uh, at the, their price range, I don't think we can, sadly. <laughs> Might as well get a dynamophone. Yeah, yeah, I'm still weighing on back order on that one. Okay, so I want to 
mention one really cool and really practical instrument, I thought, um, which was the, the Rolly Seaboard. Right. This uh, was, wasn't this one of the ones featured in the Georgia Tech musical competition? Yeah, we should mention the competition. Yeah. So it's, it's the, the Gut- Guthman musical. Uh, is it Guthman or Guthman? It may be Guthman. Uh, I've yeah. never actually attended it. It's, but we'll, we'll this say. This is an episode we'll full say. of pronunciation. It's the Guthman so musical instrument competition at Georgia Tech. Yeah. So yeah, it's and it's a lot of our ideas were uh, instruments that were featured in this competition. Right. So this is a competition that that Georgia Tech, which is local to us, it's right down the street from where we work. Uh, they they have this competition every year where they invite engineers and students and and musicians to kind of submit these crazy, awesome musical instruments that transform the whole performance. Uh, aspect of music or create music in a way you had never expected before. And they actually have a panel of judges look at these different musical instruments and then uh, hand out awards based upon which ones they think are the most innovative and interesting. It, it's a really cool competition, and you should go online and read about it if you get a chance. So the the Rolly Seaboard is... I think it was it won some prize. Yeah, I think it was second place. Okay, uh, it's really cool. You, you should check out the video that we're going to put up of this. So imagine an electric keyboard, just a standard electric piano, except instead of rigid keys that you depress, it's got these flexible uh, rubber keys, mm-hmm. and they actually respond to the dynamic pressure of your fingers. Oh wait, well that's just soft and loud, Joe. How is no, that? No, no, no. <laughs> wait, what? Um, so they respond to the pressure of your fingers. Think about the same way a guitar player can bend a note by, like, bending a string. So it's or, not just volume. It's actually the pitch of the note yeah, can change, too. Uh, to, uh, and the way a guitar player can create, like, tremolo and ah, stuff gotcha. like that, uh, you can do just by pressing the keys. So if you watch a player use this, it actually gives more uh, expressivity to what the pianist can play. Interesting. And, and that's kind of cool because I see that some of these things we look at, like, I think on one hand they're really cool, but on the other hand I'm like, well, I don't know how much people will really use that. This one really struck me. I'm like, oh wow, I mean, I feel like people would use this. Yeah, yeah. It, it could. I could easily see bands using something like that to incorporate into their music, particularly if it's a band that's known for exploring new sounds. Uh, you know that that would I could easily see that being. Yeah, and uh, anything like that, that that gives you more control over the sound as you are making it is. Yeah. Pieces. Uh, not to talk down the other really awesome instruments hmm. we feature, but just that some of them are more—they're like weirder, you know. Yeah, some and some less, of them are a little bit more individualized yeah. for some yeah. specific. Yeah, yeah, it's the sort of thing that you would think of, like, you know, you might go to say a Bjork concert and see some pretty crazy technology used in creating that music, and you might think this was an amazing experience, but at the same time, you're not going to think everyone's going to be doing this in five years. I want <laughs> all the music to sound like this. Yeah. yeah. No, please, no. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, so uh, the, there are tons of different examples of instruments that came out of that competition that are really pretty cool. So, yeah, and and then there are probably tons of things that people are working on right now that we don't even know about. Sure. Uh, I mean, the, the next electric guitar, the next piano, who know, it might be something we haven't even seen yet. I mean, I've even seen someone turn a Nintendo Wii into a theremin. Oh, yeah. Well, so that ties into something I want to talk about in two different ways. So there are certainly people who have used sounds from video games in a fun way. Sure, chip uh, sort of like stuff. Yeah, to mm-hmm. uh, sort of repurposed music. And mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting way of performing. You can take uh, all the sounds normally produced by a Game Boy as like sound effects or little musical blips that you might play in your Super Mario world on your Game Boy and actually make them into music based mm-hmm. on their pitches. Mm-hmm. Sure. And and kind of in the same way that I, I think distortion of, of guitars started out as something that was a, a negative point, uh, the, the way that these lo-fi 8-bit kind of sounds started out as, as, well, that's as good as they get right now. Sorry, mm-hmm. guys. It has turned into, yeah, something, well, something of an actual musical it's something expression. That, it's mm-hmm. something that actually makes them unique and they mm-hmm. sound kind of interesting now because right. of that. Uh, but the other thing that uh, video games made me think of is that one thing in the future of musical performance is we might have more, just flat out more people who can perform because of the idea of the gamification of of music training. Yeah. Now, I play a musical instrument uh, mostly just for fun. I'm, I'm certainly not all that great at it, but I play the guitar, and, and it, t- it was a painstaking process to learn to play. Mm-hmm. Um, just I was in my basement. I was a teenager teaching myself, and, and it probably shows because I never got very good, 
but it, it's very rewarding, and I'm really glad I play now because I have a lot of fun with it. Sure. Do you all have any experience with that, with like how rough it can be learning to play an instrument? Um, I, I tried to have a friend teach me how to play guitar all of once and got really frustrated really fast, and I don't think I've ever picked one up again uh, <laughs> after, after that. I, I do very much enjoy singing, and I, and I do understand that vocal training like playing any instrument is a really intensive process and I've never oh, done yeah. it in an official kind of way, but it's something that I have fun doing in my kitchen when I'm, you know, washing dishes or whatever. But Sure. Uh, I play Appalachian dulcimer, taught myself how to play that. Uh, but I also play uh, <laughs> ukulele, taught myself how to play that too. I'm not very good at either of them. And, uh, but I, again, I find enjoyment from it, but you know, the whole idea of, adding gamification so that you have another reward system in place besides learning to play a musical instrument is interesting to me. Right, totally. Because, yeah, you know, I, I just said that I don't play any musical instruments, but um, but I had a friend who hooked a MIDI kit up to a actual electronic drum set and used it to play rock band with, which which there are there is a rock band uh, setting that you can switch over to pro drums and it will allow you to work up to playing the way that the song is played on a full drum kit. At home, and 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 I loved playing with that. That was actually a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a lot easier to learn to play when you can play in a in a digital game environment. I think because just because there, you can program in so much incremental reward, right? And, totally, uh, and and just kind of this naturally fun environment that takes away some of the the humiliating early stages. Of, yeah, where you're sitting there and you're thinking, my hand does not make that shape. How am yeah. I supposed to play this chord? This hurts and it sounds bad. Right. Yeah. And, and so that makes me think that, well, if you can... So there are lots of people who can't play a musical instrument, but they can play the hell out of some Guitar Hero. Right. Oh, but yeah. then again, Guitar Hero and guitar playing are very different things. Exactly. And that's where I'm heading. You can take uh, so you've got a normal guitar hero controller that's not really like playing guitar uh it might have some of the same skills just like rhythm and coordination mm-hmm. right but I, I i do think that the rock band kids anyway designed the um the button movements to mimic the chords on a guitar well except mm-hmm. that but, but that's, they're but that's all a in pretty line. loose interpretation yeah, yeah they're I'm all in sure. line so it's not like you have to move your fingers across a fret the way right. you would but i i know i've seen some sort of some hacks and upgrades mm-hmm. uh on similar games that that take a controller that's essentially like a real guitar or you can even just use a real guitar sure mm-hmm. um, yeah or they and, have the fancy ones with all the buttons. Yeah. yeah. Right. There's some that, uh, that Roland makes, for example, where they have specific software where you can get a, a guitar and you plug it in and you have it hooked up to the software. And there are not just, you know, here's how you play guitar type tutorials, but also they add the gamification in there so that you are playing along with known tracks. And at first you might just be playing, you know, a certain percentage of the notes, uh, for one of those, those guitar tracks. And it's just so that you get comfortable with the, the instrument and you can increase the difficulty as you go along to, until you're actually to the point where you can really play that musical instrument. Yeah, so we we can imagine this easily with something like guitar or drums, but really any instrument that you can digitize, you could probably create this kind of gamified training system. Yeah, you could argue and, that uh, one of the more advanced rock bands, they added keyboards to it. So essentially you were learning to play keyboards with that game. Oh, yeah, 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 that was, that was one. I, I didn't really mess with that. I was like, I'm gonna leave that to Billy Joe. <laughs> I went to, I went to E3 where they debuted that particular rock band, so I got a chance to play with it, uh, before it had even hit store shelves and learned that, um, that I, I may be a man, but I am not Devo. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, anyway, the, the upshot of that is that I think it, it's highly possible that with advances like that, we might be looking at a future where even more people can play instruments. More people are be, will be have the interest and, and yeah. I think that's a great future. I mean, I, as someone who truly enjoys music, it's, and the, and just the, the sort of benefits you can get from learning to play. I think that that's uh, really encouraging and I'm, I'm certainly eager to see that. I'm also aware that we will see numerous youtube videos of people who are in various stages of uh <laughs> of of expertise playing their musical instruments that's okay too well but the the kind of music you produce for public consumption and the kind of music that you produce just to have fun playing it with the people you know i mean those are different levels and arguably serve different purposes sure 
Um, and even if it's just the latter, you know, if it's just people learning to play so they can play with their friends and experience that kind of bonding we were talking about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even from the ancient days and the origins of music, that's really cool. I agree. Well, uh, you know, this has been a great discussion all about the the future of musical instruments, kind of the way we're going. I think we are going to see this continuing uh, uh, convergence of the digital and the analog and and this uh, this new evolution of musical instruments. Maybe some of the ones we mentioned today we'll still be talking about in you know ten years. I think we'll see a lot of other developments come out that will make some of these seem you know, quaint in comparison. And there are certain musical form factors out there things like the guitar and the piano i expect those will be around for for i mean they've already proven their longevity it'll be interesting to see if they are ever replaced by something else i mean when you think about it the guitar kind of replaced a whole family of stringed instruments mm-hmm. you don't see too many lutes out there these days i think the next big thing is the ocarina of time yeah it's a great <laughs> game all right so uh, we're gonna wrap this up guys if you have uh, if you think that this is pretty awesome and you want to join in on the conversation maybe you are a an expert musician and you want to to let us know point us to some videos of you you know really rocking out let us know go to fwthinking.com that's the website where we've got all of the podcasts the blog posts the videos articles you want to go there and join in on the conversation we're also going to post up like i said a blog post uh, accompanying this podcast we're going to have links to different examples of what we've talked about so you can kind of get a an ear for some of these strange instruments we've mentioned and I think you'll get a big kick out of it. That's it for us but stick with us because we'll be talking to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology visit forwardthinking.com Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. What's out there is unknown. So at UC San Diego, out we go. Because to take on the challenges of the here and now, you got to get your feet wet, your eyes open, and your mind out there. Way out there. Turning the unknown into cures, culture, and connections with each step forward. So pack a bag, a notebook, and some sandals and get ready to look far and think further. UC San Diego. Learn more at ucsd.edu. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-Fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's Unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Your getaway with Apple Vacations begins the moment you step on board one of our exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Escape the ordinary with packages starting at just $599. No layovers, just pure relaxation from takeoff to touchdown. Immerse yourself in the joy of travel with Apple Vacations. Your journey is as enchanting as the destination. So pack your bags and leave the rest to us. Visit AppleVacations.com or call your local travel advisor to book your vacation.